Welcome to the Trad Geeks Podcast. Here are your hosts, Kevin Merrow and Mark Kephart. Welcome to the Trad Geeks Podcast, episode five. We have a special guest with us today. His name is Donnie Vincent, and if you haven't seen a hunting film by him, you're missing out. Western Pennsylvania, we got to below 20 something, which is colder than I think I've seen it in my lifetime. But yeah, it's been freezing, man. But you had a pretty interesting conversation with a outdoor club in a middle school here in Dubois, Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was lucky enough to get asked to go speak with the kids about my website a little bit today and talk to them a little bit about outdoors and traditional archery. So. It's kind of cool to go speak with some middle school students about traditional archery and their love for the outdoors. What have you been up to, Mark? Oh, you know, nothing. (laughs) You've been out training a little bit, haven't you? Yeah, I got an elevation training mask, um, like the the ones the professional athletes use. Look like Darth (laughs) Vader, this type of thing. Yeah, because I, I hate doing anything to get in shape, but I understand the benefits of being in shape. So I've been wearing a 40-pound backpack and putting that on and doing as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you are so lazy. That's what's funny. But yet this kid will go play drums for three hours without any hesitation. So he, he acts like he's not in shape, but trust me, he's in pretty good shape. I guess. I, c- I can do like five pull-ups with my backpack on, though. <laughs> that would put me at like 180 pounds. With yeah. a backpack on. Yeah, because you are small. 110? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think like 140. 140. <laughs> yeah. You're still small. 90% muscle. See, I need to lose a little bit of winter fat. That's uh, all good. You were out doing some shed hunting the other day? Yeah. I knew it was early, but I had to get out. So I couldn't even take my dog. It was so cold. I think that day it was negative 25 with the wind chill. Um, did find a lot of fresh sign, but no sheds. So here in March, we'll get after it pretty hard, but, uh, it's, it's depressingly the off season for us. So it's shooting bows in the basement, which, uh, there's a a couple videos of your son floating around that the one kind of went viral a little bit. Yeah, man, I still can't get over that because I just filmed him with my iPhone in the living room. And just uploaded it like I would anything else. And the next thing I knew, it had like 500 shares. And I think it's up to 43,000 views now, which is insane. But uh, Little yeah. Finny. Yeah, he's he's doing awesome. And, you know, I can't take full credit. I mean, I do work with him quite a bit, uh, try to be the quote-unquote good parent. But uh, he's just a natural. It's that simple. That's awesome, man. Shooting that stalker weasel, too. What a cool bow. Yeah, for the price, you can't beat it. Um, for any price, you can't beat it. Uh, the work that South does on that bow is just as good as, you know, the the Schiller that I just got. I mean, it's just it's just a beautiful bow as well. And uh, I didn't think he'd be able to pull back, but he pulls it back and hits his anchor and lets it fly. That's awesome, man. 
So now yeah. you're looking forward to a Florida trip next week. Leaving Saturday night at six o'clock and uh, really looking forward to Monday because that's the scheduled date to go try to kill a hog. But um, again, that depends on the weather. So hopefully the weather works out for me and I get to go. But uh, also looking forward to the week with the family and going to the beach and taking Finn to Disney and Ooh, that's be a good time. I've never been to Disney myself, so. Could uh, you try and get like one of the princesses numbers for me? You know what? My, my <laughs> wife is, my wife is teasing Finn saying daddy's going to dance with Anna and uh, what's the other one's name? I have no idea. Uh, Elsa. So these, this is it for anyone that is doesn't that the know. Frozen one? That's the Frozen that everyone's going crazy over. And I said, no problem. I'll dance with Anna and Elsa. <laughs> right on. Well, and is Robin Hood a Disney actor? <laughs> I don't know, but he better look out with Finn, <laughs> with Finn coming, man. He'll outshoot him. There you go. Mark, if you would, why don't you tell the listeners why we decided to have Donnie Vincent on the show? Well, if you've never seen a film by Donnie Vincent in Sick Mana, the uh, production company, uh, as far as hunting filmography goes and cinematography, all I can think of when I say that name, by the way, is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. <laughs> Which <laughs> doesn't even sound like it. Sin is the uh, C-I-N is the only anyways. You, but, could, you could think about sinning too. I mean, I guess. But anyways, <laughs> the uh, the current state of a lot of hunting TV shows out there too. And I, I don't have cable television. Like we watch Netflix when my wife wants to watch a movie or something. But... I watched a little bit of the outdoor channel and every once in a while when I'm at my parents, they'll have, um, some shows on and there's some good stuff out there, but a lot of it is just kill porn. It's just, that's exactly it. High fenced, um, huge deer all about just a hundred percent. The equipment they're using, the size of the deer it's killed and it's over. Um, Donnie tells a story and it, he does it so well too. And it's one of the things that from our standpoint of traditional archery, um, that is the very essence of what we do is, is being able to pass on a tradition. And I think what he is trying to do, and we'll ask him later, I'm sure we'll get to that, why he does what he does. But I, I think one of the reasons why he wants to be able to tell that story the way that he does, um, is to relay that tradition and the emotion and the excitement and the fun of the hunt, even if you go out and don't kill something. Yeah, I, I talked to Donnie, you know, the past couple of weeks via email and, and a quick phone call. And his whole thing is he wants to influence people. And uh, it was funny because I shot him an email and said, hey, I love the, the DVD Terra Nova. Uh, I sat down with my wife and watched it. It was the first hunting film or show that my wife would ever sit down and watch with me. But I planned ahead and said, Hey, I really want you to listen to or watch this show with me. She was blown away to the point where she said, I want Finn to grow up and be like that out exploring the world. And I mean, she obviously wants Finn to be like her father, like myself, but, but she, not so much like more like Donnie Vincent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But all in all reality, I'd probably like to be more like Donnie <laughs> Vincent too. Right on. And well, I've come from a background of gun hunting, Kevin's hunted extensively with a compound bow, um, Donnie hunts with a compound bow. It's not about 
so much the weaponry uh, as it is the experience. And we're sold out on on traditional archery right now. Uh, but our philosophy isn't so much the weapon that's in your hand, it's the experience that you have. And, and what's right for you is what's right for you. Uh, and it's just amazing to us that a guy like Donnie can put together the type of story that he does and the production quality that he does. So we're just really excited to have him on the show to be able to talk about the cinematography side of things with him. Yeah, especially with us wanting to do that right now. We're, we've been working a lot on our films and learning that side of things. So we thought it would be great to have Donnie on here to be able to pick his brain, so to speak. Well, before we get into our conversation with Donnie, uh, we like to talk hunting stories around here because we love to hunt. Um, but you've got a really cool story about the buck your dad killed this year with his longbow. I was out with Finn um, one afternoon. I took him over to a spot that we like to go and more or less just took my son out just to get him out in the outdoors. I mean, he was only two, but he does exceptionally well. Um and I knew my dad was going out that afternoon. So it was probably, oh, I don't know, four o'clock, really early. Finn and I were just getting settled in and my phone rang and it was my dad. And I, I hit the ignore button only because we were hunting. And I thought he just called to chit chat or something like that. And then he called right back and I thought, well, something's up. And I answered the phone and my dad, as calm as could be, said, hey, I just shot that big eight point behind the house. And I said, you what? He goes, I just shot that big eight point. And I said, it's only four o'clock. He's like, I know. I shot him on the way to the stand. I said, you what? (laughs) So anyways, my dad was walking to his stand, caught this one doe out of the corner of his eye, bedded down. It was the middle of the rut. And this ended up being a nine point was tending this doe and would not move. And Luckily enough for my dad, he got swung around and kept moving until that deer turned broadside and he shot it. So uh, my dad gave me a call. He was all excited. This will be his biggest buck to date with a trad bill, his second uh, buck with a trad bill. So he said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He always asked my advice. And I said, well, do you know where you hit it? He said, no. And he goes, but there's good blood. I said, well, if you don't know where you hit it, you need to back out. We have to give it a lot of time if you don't know for sure where you hit it. And uh, throughout the years, my dad and I just learned that if we don't know exactly where we hit that deer, we give them eight hours no matter what because we just we ran into issues in the past. And uh, that's a rule of thumb we've been going by. um, And it's really worked out well from us since we've started following that rule of thumb no matter what, even even if there is good blood, we give them that much time. It worked out well. It just so happened that Finn and I got out of the stand, got over to my dad's house, and uh, he showed me the arrow, and it, it did look like a good hit. And my dad just kept saying, there was blood everywhere. There was so much blood. And then it hit me. I'm like, Dad, you're colorblind. He goes, yeah, and I could see the blood. So then it hit me, wow, there must be really good blood if my dad can see it because he is colorblind. He can't see blood anywhere. I mean, he has to have somebody with him tracking a deer because he can't see the blood. Well, we had another thing working against us. A snowstorm was rolling in and we literally got probably an inch and a half to two inches of snow in that half hour that it took me to get from my stand with my son to my dad. So, uh, my wife was at violin lessons. I didn't have anyone to watch Finn. It was just my dad and myself and my boy. So 
you know, Finn's used to this. I just threw him in a backpack and we went. And, uh, and I said, there's my dad and me, myself and my son, three generations hiking down over a hill and I'm getting ahead of myself. We ended up going after the deer only because we, he knew that there was really good blood and this snowstorm was moving in. So we decided, well, we'll go 50 yards, see what we see. And if, if it doesn't look good, we'll get out of there. So three generations coming down over this big steep hill, going after a buck of, uh, at this point, a buck of a lifetime for my dad, because he hasn't shot one that nice, uh, was just an experience in itself. Um, my dad was really stoked just to have his grandson with him at that age. And there Finn was, once we got on the blood, he was right there pointing it out with me with his chin on my shoulder. And, uh, we ended up looking up and the buck was 40 or 50 yards from where my dad shot it. He made a really good shot. And, uh, the rest was history, but it, it was just a, a really good moment, probably. And I know I said in another podcast, uh, a couple of my highlights of the year, but this one was definitely up there with my other ones. That's great, man. And from one hunting story to an interview with a guy that tells hunting stories on film like nobody else. Let's get into our conversation with Donnie. He's on the line. Welcome to the show. We're honored to have you on as a guest. I'm stoked that you guys asked me to be on. It's 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 an honor just to be asked to, to chat with you guys. And the main reason we wanted to have you on the show is just because you've been such a great inspiration to Mark and myself. Um, we're kind of getting into the filming stuff and mm-hmm. watched both your DVDs and just was really excited to, you know, try to get your your opinion on everything and uh, pick your brain a little bit. That's fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. So can you just tell us a little bit about what you're up to right now and a little bit about your hunting background and how you uh, got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah, I, I totally can. Um, what I'm up to right now is a really good question because I've got, um, I seemingly have a lot of irons in the fire right now. And I, I'm on the cusp of, of kind of releasing some decently big information, at least it's big for me on... Um, we're talking to a couple of, of bigger companies on releasing some of our uh, material in a little bit more of a mainstream fashion, and then um, and just a, a little bit more of a popular space and a little bit more of a of a um, I guess a mainstream space, not such a hunting space, but um, some some companies are feeling the sense that our work is, is lending itself more to the average population and people are really interested in what's going on in the hunting community and really, really interested in, in the films that are producing. So it's, that's, what's kind of going on right now. And I'm really excited about it, but I, but I, I don't have my finger on the pulse of exactly, um, exactly where we're going just yet, but, um, we have a full steam ahead. We have so much material, um, as they say in the can, and we have probably five or six films filmed and, and, uh, ready to be, ready to be put together and, and written and things like that. So we have a lot of material ready to go. I just don't know how it's going to be coming out just yet. And I'm protecting it a little bit right now until I figure that out. So that's right now, as far as how I got my start, I went over this a couple of times, but, um, I, I always loved getting asked a question because I, I don't really come from a hunting family. Um, we always had guns in the house and, and my dad would occasionally go quote unquote hunting with his buddies. But I think that had more to do with driving up North to a cabin and, and maybe having a beer or two and sitting by the fire and telling stories. But, um, I was just fascinated by 
my grandparents bought my father a, a subscription to Outdoor, Outdoor Life books. And I was absolutely captivated by Jack O'Connor's writing. And um, I vividly remember talking about being a sheep hunter to my mother when I was five or six. I, I don't know what age it was, but I was very young. And I, I specifically remember sitting down and talking with her and telling her that I was going on these grand adventures and I was going to hunt dull sheep. And I was going to tell stories just like this. But I'm sure she was just shaking her head and rolling her eyes. But <laughs> I never really lost that vision. And as I came up... Um, you know, no matter what I was doing outside, I was, I call it easily entertained, but I'm just absolutely intrigued by the finest, the smallest little details. And um, I used to go in the woods behind my parents' house, and, and down at the end of the road, there was a little stream down there, and I'd go down there just to watch the brook trout swim around in the stream, and I'd go down there to watch the mallard ducks, and there were a couple of really big water snakes that lived down by the creek and I would spend a summer trying to catch them just so I could look at them. And literally these were things that just, you know, just were the fire in my soul. And, and I would, I wasn't into hunting when I was, when I was younger, because like I said, I don't come from a hunting family, but anytime I bumped into a hunter or um, like when I was in Boy Scouts, uh, I know one of the scout leaders, they had deer heads in their house and stuff like that completely fascinated me. Um, one time I found a big white-tailed buck dead underneath fresh ice on a lake when we were at a Cub Scout camp. That fascinated me. Just all of these things, I couldn't get enough of them. And um, so it was just it was just never-ending, and it just kind of perpetuated into when I got old enough to start hunting on my own. And, and um, it was always tough for me to find hunters and people to go with that took it as serious as I did and wanted to go as far as I did. So that's it in a nutshell, I guess. That's awesome. And to step back a little bit, Donnie, you, you mentioned that your films, you're going to be trying to gear them towards everybody, uh, not just the average hunter, the average person. And it's funny you mentioned that because I did shoot an email talking to you about how much my wife enjoyed your film. And, uh, you know, she's watched the occasional outdoor channel shows with me. Not that I watch them very often because I don't, they just don't appeal to me. But they mm-hmm. don't they don't appeal to her at all. But she sat down to watch Terra Nova with me and she was just fascinated by it. She absolutely loved it. So I'm glad that your films might be going more mainstream like that. Yeah, you know, I, I got a phone call out of the blue and I'll be completely um forthright with you guys, but I got a phone call out of the blue um from National Geographic and um it blew blew me away that they would give me a call and and um, this was prior to that little short that we put out um, called Who We Are. And, in fact, they called and were intrigued by, I don't even know how they found me. I still to this day don't know, but um, they were intrigued by some of the things that they had seen. And they wanted me to kind of do a no BS, um, tell it how it is, look into the camera, not guard it at all, and just tell the camera, and essentially the society, why I hunted. And so that was actually the the birth of who we are. That wasn't a passion project of mine. And I didn't say those things into the camera because I wanted to prove a point to the world. I said those things into the camera because I thought nobody was going to see this other than the National Geographic Society. Hmm. And so they literally, they celebrate hunting and the fact of um if you live in a rural or native community or you're a subsistence hunter and you need to hunt for food or you need to hunt for pelts to pay for 
um, you know, your your cost of living, if you will, your your livelihood, then they support hunting. But if you're hunting for any sort of recreation or you're hunting because you're um, fulfilling something that, um, you know, is a greater greater empowerment in your in your hereditary, they, they really aren't interested in it. And so they wanted me to kind of tell them why I hunted. And so I, you know, I put that piece together, we put that piece together and, and we entitled it who we are because we thought we represented it. We thought we re- it represented hunters well. And, um, and truly I didn't want to put it out to the public. Uh, my producer, Kyle Nicolite, he wanted to put it out to the public and I said no and he said yes and I said no and he said yes <laughs> and I said no and finally he stomped around the room enough, squeezing on his ears and kicking his feet and I said, okay, put it out. And so he put it out and it just went bananas and um, within a few weeks I was talking to people that I had really no business talking to but I was excited to talk to and and uh, it's opened a lot of doors and it's opened a lot of minds and the biggest thing, the coolest aspect of that as I was waiting to get the thousands of letters from PETA or PETA supporters, um, uh, animal rights type people, I was, I was waiting. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it never did. Okay. I had a couple of a couple of negative comments, but I received. I'm going to call it hundreds. It might be thousands, but I'm going to say I received hundreds of letters from um, people that don't hunt. Uh, you guys will notice I shy away from the term anti-hunters. I don't like that term at all. I think when you describe people as hunters and anti-hunters, it forces people in the middle or even people on either side to pick a side. I don't like that. I think there's a whole lot of gray area in between. And so, um, but I received, uh, let's call it hundreds of letters from people that do not hunt and people that do not support hunting saying that um, a a wide range of from, hey man, I finally understand why my father's been hunting all these years or, or a few wives wrote me and they said, I've never understood what, why my husband gets out of bed at four o'clock in the morning, goes off in the cold, dark night. And she said, I finally, you know, they say, I finally understand it. And I had a couple of vegans and vegetarians write me and say, I'm never going to eat meat. I really don't support hunting, but I 100% support you and I support how you hunt. And so, and I hunt just like you guys hunt. I just think there's a lot of misinformation. I think there's a lot of misrepresentation. Mm -hmm. And when we call these people antis, and I, I have people that send me this stuff on Facebook and on my cell phone all day long, they send me these little mock-ups of, you know, making fun of this group or that group, and, and I cannot stand that stuff, and I think it just perpetuates the argument, it perpetuates evil, and it's helping no one. All it does is elevate the argument to a negative response from both sides. Yeah, it's a lot like the four-year-old kid on one side and and not that this is that argument but it's a Mm four-year-old kid on one side and a four-year-old kid on the other side and both of their arms are crossed and they're saying i'm right and uh, Mm -hmm. and that's a that is a great way to look at it and that's when you sit down and watch uh, i've sat down and watched rivers divide four or five times and kevin brought tara nova tonight and we watched it for the i watched it for the first time and it's always it's just a great aspect of what you do is the story that you tell and there's a purpose to that um and you can tell that and and like kevin said just sitting down and being able to watch a film with his wife that she could get behind and say you know this is a great thing um sick manna is what you guys are putting out is an awesome thing for hunters and a, a great thing to tell that story and what you did with who we are it's like you couldn't have 
penned the words better than how you uh, put that short film together. Um, does does Sick Man? Do you have a purpose or mission statement to what you do, or do you kind of take it as you uh, as you come? That's a <clears throat> a great question that I don't have an answer for. We have not written down a mission statement, or um, you know, we've written down company values that we stand by. Um, but uh, we here's a. a, a I don't even want to say it out loud, but essentially um, our, our tagline, if you will, is kind of telling old stories with new details, if you will. Right and, it, and it's it's kind of like these old stories that have inspired me from Jack O'Connor and, and these other writers. It's Things were so, so much more romantic back then, and they really appreciated the smallest little details, and they really appreciated the expedition-style hunting and and um, and those guys like Jack O'Connor, they found trouble in their own backyards. He has some fantastic stories that he wrote about hunts that he took in Arizona where he was living, and it's just really cool. And and uh, that, that's kind of how we see it. So that's you know we just want to do. Um, I said this to a guy, uh, a, a TV producer that I was talking to from California the other day. He kind of asked me the same thing. He said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I swore at him, but I said, "I want to do cool crap, and I want to just." inspire people and and just keep you know uh, keep getting letters from people that that they're completely blown away and he he said cool man that's you know that's just that's what he wanted to hear you know and and so yeah that's you know that's that's pretty much it for six Man. and we do we do commercial work for six Man too right it's not all it's not all these big expedition films and things like that i mean we'll film a tv commercial for kleenex if if we have to right we have to pay bills just like everyone else yep. My next question for you, Donnie, is I know you're big into the ancestry of hunting and, you know, living through that. So that if I'm, then quote me if I'm wrong, that's kind of what you try to do, right? You bring out like the ancestry of hunting. Did you ever think about taking more of a traditional archery approach to any of your, uh, your films? Yeah, man, I, I have. And I'll, uh, um, in the beginning when I started, I, I was a late, uh, late bloomer to archery hunting. I um, I love rifles. First of all, I, I don't want anyone to think that I and go one way or the other. But I because I absolutely love rifles, and um, I have some friends, some dear friends, are fantastic rifle hunters. And sometimes I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, envious of them because they see just a world class animal at 300 yards, and and they're going to get them every time. Whereas if I see a world class animal, or you guys see a world class animal at 300 yards, you know it's it might take me ten days, twelve days to even get close, you know, and and so it's a it's a whole different ball game. But um, um, I have, you know, like I said, I was a late bloomer with archery. I was just driving past uh, an archery. There's an archery store in St. Cloud, Minnesota, called Archery Country, and I was driving past it one day, and it was it looked pretty dead in there. So I stopped in, and the owner said, "Man, what can I help you with?" And I said, oh, "I've just never really shot a bow." And he's like, "Well, let's shoot bows." And he set me up with a bow and just to shoot in the, in there for fun. And I let loose one arrow and, and I looked back at him and I said, what? I'll never shoot a gun again. And he started laughing. He's like, Oh no, no, no. You can still gun hunt. I gun. The guy said, I gun hunt every year with my family and it's a wonderful sport or whatever. And, and, um, I said, man, this is just, this feels like me. And so I started kind of late and, um, but right off the bat, I was a pretty successful compound hunter. And, um, but I thought about it for sure. I have, um, for a couple of reasons, I, sometimes I find myself fantasizing about how little of gear you guys have to bring with you. Like, 
it'd be really cool to go on a sheep hunt and carry that light of a bow and, you know, heavy arrows, but still a really light bow. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely thought about it. I've had some, um, of my own, you know, I'd be, I'd be worried about my own limitations because I haven't spent much time with the weapon. So I have no idea, you know, how successful I would be with it at all. Mm-hmm. Well, and that Kevin comes from a background of compound bow hunting and a, a while ago he switched over to traditional archery myself. I've gun hunted my entire life and just that last year decided to try bow hunting period. And I picked up a recurve bow and the first time I shot it with Kevin helping me out, I had that same experience of like, man, this is, this just feels natural. It feels right. Yeah. So and yeah. we have the kind of the ph- philosophical point of view that, um, hunting is one of those things, whether you do it with a rifle, a compound bow or recurve bow, or you take a spear and chuck it. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very individualized, um, sport or it, I don't even like calling it a sport because it's, I don't either. Than, I, I, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's something uh, that, oh, go ahead, buddy. No, I, I couldn't agree more. As as long as, um, to me, as long as you're not choosing a weapon because it's a novelty, you know, some guys, you know, try to choose things um, because they're like, hey, I killed it with this, now I want to try to kill it with this, and they and they get all the way down to where they're, um, you know, whatever, using gimmicky things. As long as it's not that, I'm, I'm, I couldn't agree more with you. Have you ever shot a, a traditional bed, honey? I shot uh, a friend of mine last turkey season. Um, came over and, uh, the first morning we, we, um, were able to kill his Tom and we sat in my, we sat in my front yard and shot a Glendale buck with his recurve bow and a blowgun for the rest of the morning. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause he brought some stuff over. He's kind of a guy that collects stuff like that, but, um, but I really enjoyed it, man. And, and actually that's where I, you know, I kind of stole, I say stole, I kind of stole my arrow set up you know, from the traditional market, you know, I get my arrows and broadheads from, um, a company out in, uh, now Oregon, but, um, I had a traditional archer on Kodiak Island introduce me to these arrows and how heavy they were and how, um, effective the very heavy, super sharp, single bevel broadheads were. And so when I get, when I got home, I called, I called, the uh, Garrett, the guy that owns the company and got, and had him send me some test arrows and I've been, but yeah, that's I I 100% got my motivation from those guys because you know traditional guys use such heavy pulling equipment and I and I thought let's I, I would like to use that in my compound. That's nice. awesome. Uh, how long ago did you start um, filming your hunts, or did you always, you have had the desire to do that? Um, but did you start out solo, or have you always taken a crew with you? No, I started out solo, and in fact, I started out being the film guy. Um, that's, that's literally kind of how I got my start. I just, you know, I think like most of us, this is, this is how I envision it anyway, is you go outside, you sit in your tree stand or you go on your spot and stock hunt and you're seeing stuff from your truck and pretty soon you're seeing, it, it's like years and years of seeing this stuff and you want to come back and show your wife or, or your friends or your children. And, um, it's just easier to grab a video camera. You know, it's just as easy to grab a video camera and start filming some of this stuff so you can come home and share it with your friends and family. And so I kind of started the same way, but I started out right away buying, um, I bought a Sony V, uh, like a VXF 2100. Man, I thought that thing was like the space shuttle. I thought that thing was so nice. And I bought that because I wanted to film my friends. So I got that and I got a, a you know, a, a rude, 
form of a camera arm for when we were hunting whitetails, and we basically pretended we were the Drury brothers, and we kind of did the exact same thing that the Drury's were doing. But then on the other side of my life, because I've always done wilderness hunts since the very first year I went to Alaska was my freshman year of college. Um, I saved up my money, took a couple of, uh, took like a week off of classes, and I went up there on a self-guided coastal black bear hunt. And, you know, it, it just kind of hit me hard right then. And so I would go up, like when my friends would have sheep tags or moose tags or whatever in Alaska, I would fly up with my own money. Um, fly up with my own gear, and I would hike in with those guys 15, 20 miles. We'd go on a sheep hunt, kill the sheep. I'd film the whole thing and come out, and then I would just kind of give the footage away to friends of mine that had TV shows, and and that's kind of just how it started to process, and, and pretty soon I started to get offers to be on the TV shows, and I started getting offers to host a TV show, and then that's where I kind of came to the realization that I should maybe look into doing this by myself. That's awesome. And you kind of covered a couple of the questions we had for you. So that's good, Donnie. Sorry. No, no, <laughs> I'm glad. Keep on going. <laughs> I um, talk too much. This, no, is, a, no, this no. is a fact. This is a point of fact. <laughs> you will read that out of cards sometimes. No, but I did want to touch base. Your degree is in biology, correct? It is, yeah. Okay. Wildlife biology. Okay. I thought that was your background, but I wasn't positive on that. Um, it is, yeah. It's, uh, I was actually going to school um, for a few other things. I, I was always in a biology type program, and then, uh, um, then I just kind of discovered it um, on accident. A friend of mine showed me a showed me a pamphlet from the University of Minnesota, and it had a moose on the cover. And it was a College of Natural Resources, and um, he was just like, "Man, I think you'd really excel at this." And so, that again, it was off to the races. Awesome. So for any new inspiring cinematographers, what would be, Mm -hmm. what would be like three, three major tips you would give, or, you know, some of the most important things that you would, you would give to those people? If if somebody, I'll I'll tell you this, this is a question I get asked all the time is people want to know a, how to get into the hunting industry and b how they can do what I'm doing for a job. And, um, and then, and then I can give you a, a couple of tips on, on filming type stuff because I think that's truly what you mean, right? Like tips on actually like exactly. developing and filming, right? Yep. So like I, I will say this, like if you are really serious, like you want to be a photographer or you want to be a videographer um, in in the hunting world, the outdoor realm, I would definitely say um, to either shadow a very talented person, like literally engage them in an internship where you actually go and work for them for a period of time, a year or so, like, so you can learn the craft or literally go to college. There's there's wonderful photography schools in Montana and filming schools. Uh, Kyle Nicolite, the gentleman that works with me, he graduated film school. Um, he went to film school in Nebraska, graduated in South Dakota. He knows nothing about hunting, but he's very, you know, he's excellent at telling stories, excellent at editing. And so um, people that work hard and are talented will find their way into any field that they want to get into. I'm um, that's, that's easily a hundred percent. So it's, it's, um, it's not that the hunting industry is hard to break into. It's just that you have to, you have to be good at something and you have to work really hard and, and, um, and it might even be, it might even help to be best at something, but, um, you know, getting a formal education and really pouring yourself into something, uh, is definitely going to help picking up a camera and just getting started unless you have a ridiculous amount of talent. 
is it's probably going to be pretty tough and copying the stuff that you're seeing on TV is going to get you virtually almost nowhere is, would be my estimation if you really want to get started. But as far as filming stuff goes, the other things that I get questions on are our camera gear, our camera equipment. I've had several guys write me letters um, and say, yeah, I, I have a red and cinema lenses and I have all of this stuff. I just want to make sure I'm filming on the same kit that you're filming on so I can achieve the same stuff that you're achieving. And um, we film on broken down Canon 5Ds. We literally have four Canon 5D bodies. We've broken all four of them several times. Thank you, Canon, for helping us fix them as often as possible. <laughs> and um, and we have we have almost all of our lenses are were purchased used off of Craigslist. Um, and then we just build our kit and we kind of evolve our kit all the way as we keep going. But people want to know what kind of cameras we use, and really. It has nothing to do with the camera, right? If you want really cool shots, you can get really cool shots. This is going to sound funny, but you can get really cool shots with an iPhone. You can take really beautiful photos with an iPhone. And you could tell a beautiful story filming on iPhones. The camera, it's not the camera. It's not the editing software. It's just the fact of you wanting to flesh out and actually tell a story. And I would say, more than anything, guys, that kind of want to get into it, go looking for a story. Go looking for an interesting character and try to flesh that story out and tell that story. Stay away from watching hunting TV and maybe spend a little bit more time watching things like the Shawshank Redemption. Awesome. If that makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely. And that actually segues great into a question that I've been dying to ask. Um, because when you approach putting together a hunting film, it's it's obviously <laughs> different from uh, the traditional, I write a story and then I shoot based on that story. You guys go on an adventure and capture that adventure. In the editing or the post-production process of that, um, how do you approach kind of that from the backside of going on this hunt? Or is it kind of a work in progress from when your feet hit the ground? It's um, it's a work in progress from even before the time we leave, like um, we'll actually go through and come up with a shot list. Like, um, you know, let's say we're going mountain lion hunting or we're going to go spend time with hound dogs and, and mountain lions. And I, I say this because I was literally on the phone today with um, a gentleman. We're going to go, uh, excuse me, we're going to go tell a story about his, his um, cougar hounds, his mountain lion hounds. So, so we'll, we'll come up, we'll sit in a room, the four of us, and we'll brainstorm on all the cool shots we want to get that will celebrate, celebrate the hounds the cat, the houndsman, you know, the gear that goes around it. We'll, we'll come up with our shots that we think would be really interesting, things that might happen in the cold, things that might happen at night, things that might happen in the moonlight, in the sunlight, full sun, things like that. And then we don't actually, there's a term called storyboarding where you actually go through and, like, sketch out what you, what you think the movie would actually physically look like. We don't actually do that. We've done a little bit of it, but we don't actually do that. And then we kind of come up with our you know, our rough laid plan. And then we go on the adventure. We don't make anything up. Um, when I get back and I write my voiceovers, nothing's contrived. Um, it's, it's the story that, you know, that we told, like for instance, Terra Nova, three days on the Island. It's entitled three days on the Island because when, when we landed in Newfoundland, the outfitter, um, her name is Barb Gaines that we were hunting with. She's just a sweetheart. And then her thick, um, Norwegian accent, she said, well, boys, I hope you, you know, have eaten your Wheaties because you have three days to get this done. There's a huge storm coming on the fourth day of your hunt. 
and it's, you know, it's like 120 kilometer an hour winds. We can't have you out there that I'm, you know, I'm worried the cabin that you're staying in is going to blow over. So I need you back here at the main lodge. So you have three days to get this done. So that's why it's called Terra Nova three days on the island. When we got there, we had no idea. We thought we were going to be filming for seven or eight days. You know, we, we get there and we find out we have three. So there's little things like that or, um, God forbid, knock on wood, if we're in a plane crash or, or um, I get mauled by a bear or mauled by a mountain lion or something like that, something um, somewhat tragic, fall off a cliff, whatever. So basically, we go into it with a with the, with the best laid plan, but we let the adventure kind of just develop in front of us, and we try to we try to hike and push as far as we can every day because if we can if we if we hike and film for eight miles. Man, what would we have seen if we would have pushed for two more miles or something like that, right? We, that's why we try to keep pushing and try to keep filming. We just capture every day as though it's its own complete day. That helps us tell the story towards the end. And um, the hardest time to do that is when nothing's going on. The hardest time to do that is when it's not windy, it's not rainy, it's beautiful outside, you're not seeing sheep or deer or whatever it is. You're sitting there, you're talking to the guide or you're, um, photographer or your best friend and there's really nothing going on the animals are all bedded down and you're sitting there with your thumb in your ear you still have to film something right then you still have to attempt to tell a story throughout that day because you know this is i kind of look at it this way if your professor came up to you and said hey donnie you have to film a sheep hunting story on tuesday you have sun up to sundown on tuesday how would I film that not knowing that I might have 10 days? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So if, if I go on a 10-day sheep hunt and I'm in an airplane crash on the second day and I film everything completely up to the second day, we could probably still tell a story in two days of filming because we have a complete first day and we have a complete second day that includes a horrific airplane crash. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So talking about Terra Nova, if you would have shot that caribou in the first scene... Yeah. You're, in other words, you're saying you would have had enough footage, enough of a story to, to tell something. No, I would have lied to you, and I'll tell you how. <laughs> we would have filmed for several. We would have filmed. We would have filmed out the complete trip. Okay. And it may have end, It may have ended up that either let's say let's say we filmed the rest of the trip and nothing else kind of felt right to the story. Nothing else kind of fit into the story. Um, then that would all just be B-roll for another time, another film, another instance. Okay. And we would either make a really short film out of the first two days, or we would film the next three days or the next two days, and it would fit in the story, and then we would build a complete story. Not always, almost always everything is chronological, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We almost always go um, in, a, in a linear fashion. However, sometimes we will steal footage from another day if the skies match up, if everything matches up, we will to build a film. Cause that's what we're doing. We're building a film. We're telling a story and, um, and that's kind of how it works. Does that make sense? Oh Absolutely. yeah. And that was kind of the, the foundation of the question that I asked because you're dealing with, animals and you have absolutely no control over them it's it's not like a lion scene in a hollywood production where it's a tamed trained lion like you go out there to tell a story and you have absolutely no control over the environment and that's 
the environment, the animals, the situations, what you come up against. And that's one of the things that we kind of respect the most out of what you're doing is how you weave that storyline together. Um, it's almost like you have that preconceived notion of this is how I want the story to go. And it all lines up perfect. Mm-hmm. And we work really hard at that. You know, we, we, um, you know, for instance, we planned, we, uh, we were in the Arctic circle in Alaska for 25 days, um, not last year, year before. And I had a moose tag and we were finding some really big old bulls and we, I, we didn't, we didn't kill on that trip. We didn't, we didn't get a moose. And, but it, the whole trip we zigged and they zagged. I mean, it was, um, one morning we were, it was a frosty morning. It was absolutely perfect. You know, there was a hoarfrost on all the trees and all the grass. The leaves were all turning. Ice was forming everywhere. We're crawling up to there's this moose. There's black bears eating um, the last of the blueberries of the of the summer right next to us, and a sow with cubs. And we're sinking up to this moose who's probably mm, probably very easily Boone and Crockett type size. And just as we're getting up to them, um, a state trooper from the Alaska. Uh, the Alaska State Troopers flies over in his super cub and he sees us and he lands his airplane on the tundra just to check our license. He's just doing his job. But he bumped the moose and the moose got up and ran away, you know, and, and that's kind of how that hunt went, you know, a couple of times we were stalking a big bull and, and wolves bumped them, you know, and sometimes that's how, you know, we go in with a really good plan and we film every day completely and it, it still just doesn't work out. But we'll go back and we'll find that story again. We'll pick it up. We'll film another year and, and we'll put it together. Awesome. And for the listeners, make sure that you, if you purchase the DVDs, which I highly recommend, watch all the extras because the extras are great in all these films. And, you know, it's almost like you're watching another uh, film when you watch the extras and, and learn all the little little niches that you do. But how do you how do you weigh the filming aspect of it, Donnie, and in the hunting? I mean, for myself, I enjoy hunting a little more than I do filming. Um, Everybody does. <laughs> so I always run into this issue of, you know, and, and Mark and I aren't, aren't blessed with some of the opportunities that you or other people may have. You know, when we go on a hunting trip, we're there to hunt. We have a week to hunt. We've taken time off work and we want to film because we want to tell a story, but we want to hunt. And, yeah. you know, we run into that issue. How do you weigh it? And is are you in, are you just at a point where it, no matter what, it has to be on film. Yeah, it's it's two things. Um, um, I could tell you a really horrible story. Uh, I filmed um, one episode of Bone Collectors for Michael. You, you guys know Michael Waddell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, awesome guy. He's a good friend of mine. And I filmed one episode of his for Bone Collectors, season one. Um, I killed an Alaska Yukon moose with, um, with a muzzleloader. Uh, in, in, in his season one, but I, I passed on a moose. We passed on a moose. It's all on, you can go check it out on season one, but we passed on a moose like two nights before I shot that one with a muzzle loader that, um, very, very, quite possibly could have broken the world record at the time. Oh man. And, uh, and I did because we didn't have filming right now. Hindsight, I really picked myself for passing on that moose because I, I, I wasn't really sure what I was looking at and, and um, I just had so much fun filming with those guys that I kind of got lost in, in telling mm-hmm. that story. But right now, it's it's all about the filming. Right now, it's all about capturing the story um, for the audience. And and the last couple of years, 
that's what it's been about. And it was it was a uh, a nerve wracking transition going from being just like you guys, where hey, if I get on film, awesome. If I don't get on film and I kill a great deer or a great ram or bear, awesome. I really am here to hunt. I'm here to spend time with my friends. If I get some cool footage, high five, right? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of hired hired these guys and took a step off the cliff. And I said, if I'm hiring these guys and investing in my future and investing in this camera gear and investing in these guys' futures as well, you know, when all of a sudden you have other people's payroll um, laying on your shoulders, that puts a little extra weight in each step when you're on a sheep hunt, trust me. And I kind of just stepped off this cliff and just said, okay, from here on out, it's all about the filming. It's all about the story. And I'm only looking for, and I was like this before with picking animals, but I just said, I'm, I'm only looking for certain animals. I'm only looking for a certain story. And this is how I like to hunt. This is how I like to hunt when nobody's looking. And so this is how I'm going to hunt in front of the camera. But yes, if, if, if for some reason I'm sitting by myself on a cliff and um, the two photographers that are with me are 300 yards away shooting a time lapse because something really beautiful is happening and, you know, the world record doll sheep walks by, I just sit and watch the sheep and wait for them to come back and then we try to go get on them. Wow. That, that's crazy. And, you know, that's, that's awesome that you can do that. Um, I have one, you know, we're going to wrap it up here, Donnie. And uh, I have one specific question that I want you to answer. And that is a little bit about gear. I know you've answered gear questions probably too many times, but me specifically, I wear QU and I hunt primarily from a tree stand. Um, mm-hmm. their, their gear seems like it's really breathable and more for the mobile hunter. But do you have any recommendations for a layering system for in the tree stand? Because I know you do hunt out of the tree stand as well. I do, and um, I, you know, and I get it's it's funny, and I won't go down this road, but I get asked a lot about with Sitka, and I get off asked a lot about with Kuyu, and again, guys like to they kind of like to pick a side, but um, they're really both fantastic gear. They both have assets in certain. Um, areas and you're right. Kuyu is fantastic gear for the fast and light guy. Um, I've struggled with Kuyu a little bit um, when I've hunted in tree stands when it's been very very cold because as you have to start putting on jackets that have laminates in them and pants that have a polymer base that nylon type base, mm-hmm. you now are looking at things that start to make noise. And you know as well as I do when you're hunting white-tailed deer, uh, it's a big fat no-no, and that just doesn't. For me, it just doesn't work. I do not like using, unless it's really windy or pouring rain, I do not like to wear laminate. And so um, what I've been going to lately when I hunt tree, when I tree stand hunt for whitetails or whatever, um, is I wear wool. And I've worn, and sometimes I wear, like if it's a mild day, I'll be wearing, you know, like a, a, a regular, um, let's say, let's, let's go the non the non-wool route. But let's and let's just talk about Kuyu. Like I'd wear like their regular nylon pants with some wool base layers underneath, and then I'd wear a series of his wool shirts on top, and then I might wear like a vest, not a down vest because they're way too noisy, but his regular synthetic vest on top just to kind of keep my core warm. Vests are severely underrated for the weight and the fit and the mobility and the warmth that they give you. Vests are just incredible. 
but and that works up to you know that works up to down to like 30 degrees or whatever if you if you can handle yourself in the cold but once it goes beyond that i found that personally i wear a lot of icebreaker i wear um some kuyu some sitka wool and i wear some um there's another company out of sweden i believe called Ufralte. Um, that I wear some of their wools. It's just another wool, but primarily I wear a lot of icebreaker. And then outside of that, I'll wear King of the Mountain, or I know there's another um, wool company called Silent Feather. I've never worn their stuff. But for me, wool is just, when you're talking white tails, you're talking late season. Wool is king in the tree stand for me. Awesome. Thanks so much. Because, you know, I, I have some things on order. They're in back order. <laughs> Go figure. But, um, the guided the guided series stuff was coming uh, for me, and I was reading some reviews where it can be a little noisy, and and I did have a down a down vest to wear underneath that. Um, but you know, the stuff I have. And there's, now, new, you know, the, yeah, and there's new garments all the time, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's tough. It's pretty tough to stay warm in Pennsylvania <laughs> in the late season when it's down in the single digits and and sometimes even mm-hmm. colder. But uh, you know, we tough it out anyways, but thanks. Yeah, lo- and, and yeah, you have to, that's, that's the game is finding, finding the right gear. And I can tell you this, less is more. Everyone wants to make more technical gear right now, but oftentimes, depending on, unless you're sheep hunting or something like that, less is more oftentimes. Right on. Well, we are stoked on uh, what you're doing in the future and what we're expecting you to put out um, film-wise with Sick Mana. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time coming on and talking with us, Donnie. Uh, if you could take just a couple of seconds and plug where people can find you, DonnieVincent.com and those those other areas. Um, what's What are some websites? We want everybody to check you out. Um, where can they find you online? Yeah, right on. I appreciate that, man. For sure, DonnieVincent.com. Um, they can order the films off of DonnieVincent.com. We're working on mobile downloads right now because a lot of people uh, really want to watch the stuff in HD, and we totally get that, and it's something that we're working towards. Uh, and then I'm I'm on Facebook and, and stuff like that. I have no idea what my Facebook address is, but I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on Facebook, but anyone that knows Facebook, yeah, I'm sure can find me. Uh- but... Um, yeah. So aside from that, if anybody wants to email me personally or anything like that, they can um, email info at sickmanta.com and, and uh, the you know emails will find their way to me for sure. Awesome, Donnie. I'll make sure I plug some of that stuff underneath the podcast as well. Um, I'm gonna. Yeah, you know, and, and if you guys want to, uh, I apologize that I had to cancel last week. So if you guys want to pick one of your listening audience to receive something, I'll you know, I'll send over a little care package that you guys can send out to them. Awesome. Yeah, Donnie. I, I put up a post and, um, we talked about this earlier, so I did do that and I picked a randomly picked the winner and it's Jamie Lilly. So he'll be getting that lucky gift. Um, so if you just want to send it to me, Donnie or him specifically, I can get you the address. No, I'll send it to you. I'll send you guys a little care package too. And, um, something for Jamie and then you guys can just forward it on to him if that's cool. Awesome, Donnie. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate it. We had a lot of fun listening or talking to you, and uh, we'll talk soon. I appreciate it, guys. I hope I wasn't too long-winded, and you guys have a fantastic night. You too, brother. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, we really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Donnie, and we do encourage you to go and check out his films. Both Terra Nova and Rivers Divide are phenomenal stories and phenomenally 
uh, presented in film and and storytelling and the music behind it. Everything is just awesome. It's a great night to spend with your spouse, friends. Uh, order the DVD, have a movie night. You won't regret it. As for next week's podcast, I'll be flying solo because, Kevin, where will you be? Florida. You will be in Florida, but I do have a really sweet guest lined up. It's going to be great. It is going to be a super secret guest that we aren't going to tell anybody who it is until next week. Uh, so you'll just have to stay tuned and listen. But I assure you, it's not as good as Donnie Vincent. So, Yeah, it's going to be hard to beat that. As always, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors. Maven Optics, Stalker Stick Bows, Zipper Bows, Grizzly Broadheads, QU, Three Rivers Archery, Kestrel Knives, Covert Cams, Lacrosse Boots, KME Sharpeners, Black Widow Hunting and Tackle, and DeerLab.com. Thanks again, guys. Always subscribe to us on iTunes. Look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay safe and shoot straight. But under sheets, I will talk myself to sleep. And all I know is this is real. So close your eyes and dream of better times when the day is warm and everybody's gone Sad to see this day goes by. I'll turn off the lights and fall back to sleep. And all I know is this is real. So close your eyes and dream of better times. When the day is warm and everybody's gone It's getting better Everybody's gone